This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,536, recorded June 9th, 2000. I think of, out of all the novels, short stories, novellas, and half-act plays that I have written and presented here, I think this will stand alone. The question is, can we, can you, stand alone? <clears throat> Opening fact, the worst affliction possible for a man who wants to know what's going on is to be consumed with seeking the truth. If you know what's going on, there is nothing in life that is not true. But if you're ordinary-minded and see life through your thoughts about life, rather than seeing it as it is, then there are many things that seem to you to be untrue. And this is the basis for you seeking enlightenment. Seeking the truth is one thing, fine as it may be, but understanding the foolishness inherent in seeking the truth is the Stanley Cup of Enlightenment hockey. When your head is clear and your eyes wide open, then everything is true to you. And when everything in life is true, what complaints can you have? Once you see the truth, you have no complaints, especially about yourself. And when everything in life is true, especially about yourself, to have complaints about yourself is to believe that there is something untrue about you. Could anything be more foolish than that? I think we should all repeat it to ourselves. If I'm asleep, if I'm of ordinary mind, I believe that there's something about me that's untrue. <laughs> I see that the Stanislavski method is wasted on you people. <laughs> Trying to get down into my very depths. And of course then realizing I have none, thank God. It's all shallowness. And getting shallower every day, praise be to Jesus or somebody. To have, here we go. Once you see the truth, you have no complaints, especially and particularly about yourself. To have complaints about yourself is to believe that there is something untrue about you. And what could be more foolish than that? Saying that you shouldn't complain is one thing, as proper as that may be. But not complaining to yourself about your own propensity to complain is the Pulitzer Prize of metaphysical journalism. Another name for full enlightenment would be full acceptance of reality. Consider again my model. Foist, things are as they are. Then men think about things and then describe how they think that things are, then other men learn of these descriptions of how things are, 
and they think about them and ultimately describe what they think about the previous men's descriptions of what they thought about how things are. And this repeats over and over again until before you know it, voila. You have mythology, philosophy, religion, history, literature, all of the arts and other features that make up civilization and man's life beyond the mere physical subsistence. But for those with our specialty aim, what purpose is served by looking at how things are through your thoughts about how they are, rather than simply seeing them as they are? It always results in confusion and frustration. So what's the point? Everyone already physically lives an enlightened life. Why not do so mentally? There is no downside there, too. Only up. In the midst of routine civilized existence, it is as though the muse metropolitus I made her up. Is always on a corner hawking. Glasses for sale. Glasses for sale. Get your glasses right here. Either look at things as they are, or else look at things through the glasses of what you think about how things are. On the surface, the cost of either... On the surface, the cost of either is the same. But for those who who hunger for that certain something else, the apparent equity is a most expensive illusion. The theme song of ordinary men and their ordinary minds could be, let's think about think, let's talk about talk, let's talk about think, and let's think about talk. And the concluding chorus could be, it's all about describing other descriptions. Describing the physical world can be beneficial, but doing so of any other realm serves what? What useful purpose? Consciousness of the external world is one thing, and profitable it may be, but consciousness of the internal one can, from a minority view, be quite perverse, if not pathological. Why think about life? when it is not composed of thoughts, but of what it is. Why talk about life, when it can speak for itself? Why describe life, when it is right there all around you, to be directly seen with no comment required? When your conception of how things are is determined by your thoughts about how things are, you continually wonder why. Things are as they are, without ever realizing that it is your looking at things through your own thoughts about them that is the sole cause of your wondering why they are as they are. Men worry about being ignorant, but never recognize that them being ignorant of the fact that they look at life through their thoughts about life is the source of all ignorance. There is no such thing as ignorance, but being ignorant of this fact produces what men call ignorance. 
Everything about being alive is far too simple to ever be seen through your thinking about it. The truth of it all, the simplicity of what's really going on, can only be felt and experienced and never adequately described or thought about. Saying that everything is actually as plain and simple as can be, as accurate as that may be, is one thing. But you being so plain and simple that you never even think about it is the heavyweight belt of mystical wrestling. All in all, you could say that the trick is to not make eye contact with your thoughts about life, but simply take it in as it is. Now, when it comes to the useless, the ultimate useless talking about all of this, uh, I don't know how I can get any more basic than these fine words that I read from some anonymous source just now. Because no matter how you think about it, no matter how you think I'm talking about it, no matter what anybody thinks about it, no matter what anybody's ever said about it, all of this is about one thing, and that is seeing life as it is and not through your thoughts about what it is. I guarantee you there's nothing more to enlightenment, awakening, the great liberation. So, Tory, that's it. How in the world can anybody think about it for 40 or 50 years, or in some cases, think about it and write about it? How can there be some thousands of people right this minute all around the world sitting somewhere, reading, listening, engaged in some apparent discipline, trying to achieve enlightenment? Think about it. There are people out dancing, whirling. There are people that's been going without food. There are people sitting in a dark room with their eyes closed. There are people sitting in a bright room with their eyes closed. There are people sitting and listening to someone talk and them taking copious notes. Well, if they live in Copicia. What are you going to do? Take them in Greek or Albanian? How would that be listening to a lecture on how to awaken and you get later and you look at your notes and realize that unbeknownst to you, you wrote them down in a foreign language that you don't understand, <laughs> that you can't read? At any rate, there's thousands of people right this second doing stuff. And it's ridiculous. Well, it's not ridiculous. I, you know I'm not making light of all of this because I have had a great ride with it. I can think of anything I would have swapped it for. Well, <laughs> not that I'm going to talk about it in public, but... <clears throat> I just can't believe that it doesn't strike some of you. Because it's more than... It's, it will eventually be more than good for just a momentary chuckle. But to me, this is sort of the archetypical scenario of how it goes. A very sincere person. Let's say that you're sitting reading a book on how to awaken, how to live in the present enlightened moment. Some book like that, and it, quoting past sources. And it is, you're just very excited, having great pleasure reading it. 
It's having trigger. I was going to say capricious thoughts, but again, I don't know whether how many of you are capricious. Would you raise your hand? I know some of you are Italian, but but you're having they're triggering. What you're reading is triggering. Enthusiastic, exciting thoughts on your own about awakening in yourself and what you've done and what you will do. And you're drinking coffee and smoking cigars or cigarettes, having a big time, and suddenly you've got to go to the bathroom. So you jump up, you're in the bathroom, you're taking a whiz, and all the time you're thinking about great expectation and maybe even thinking about do you have enough coffee made? Because you know you're going to be sitting there probably trying to finish that book. Have you ever been engaged in such as that? And now you stand, let's say, if you're a man and from Copetia, taking a leak. And your mind is in the other room. Your mind is on that book. Your mind is on the great struggle for enlightenment. It's just bouncing around everywhere. Your mind is on trying to imagine the 16th century. Let's assume the book was written by a man in the 16th century. He's quoting at great length things from the Zen canons. And you're trying to imagine your little head is bouncing around. You've got pictures in your head that you picked up from movies from Zen monasteries. And it's back to the coffee. Have I got plenty of coffee? All excited. And something you just read in the book. And this is something you're going to work on. It's just given a new way to approach the idea of trying to stay mindful to keep your mind centered. Just some of something you never thought about that way. And you just feel like, boy, I'm so glad I went and got that book. I'm so glad that I stayed home tonight. I'm so glad I sat down. I've read that one sentence, that one idea at just the right time. This is going to be so meaningful. And there you stand. And you should be clear-headed, and doing whatever it is that's possible for man to do right that second. Because that's all there is. There is no book in the other room. There's no excitement in the other room. There's no enlightening information in the book. There are no thoughts in your mind. There are no plans now that will lead you to awakening. It's all a dream. If you're not staying right there, taking a fist, and suddenly realize... This is it. This is eternity. This is my eternity. This is the only possibility, the only chance, past or present or future, that I'll have to be more awake is right this second. And me thinking about being more awake, no matter how grandiose be my thoughts, is foolishness. It's laughable. Don't laugh too hard while you're doing it. If you're a man, of course, you know. Well, you know what can happen. You mess up your new suede shoes or your velvet pants. Your white linen breeches. Well, that's all I can talk about. What can you say after that? Well, if I'm going to say something else, I've got to preface it by saying, right, if, you wanna, if we all feel like but we're in the habit that we all drive over here and we spend an hour. So I can talk for another 40 minutes. And I feel like talk just as profitably, just as meaningfully as I've always done. But I'd like to preface it after making these remarks to point out that there's nothing to say. There's nothing for anybody to say. 
Having something to say is what puts you to sleep. Having something to say is being asleep. If you've got something to say, you're asleep. Unless you're putting on a real good show. So just so I can cover myself. Because I can always point out that this is all just entertainment. It's all a joke. But notice no one laughs. Oh, well, that's not funny. No, now if you think about it, if you analyze, well, why did he say that? That's not funny. Well, you're right. Now that you went down that road, <laughs> now that you listen to me say that, and it triggered something in you, I'm really ashamed that you people, after all this time, after all I've done for you, after the way I've tried to help you, that you'll sit there and listen to me. That's all right. I'm glad you show up. But to listen to me and actually let it have any effect. Well, to listen to me and then to actually listen to me. And the next thing you know, I hate to warn you, the next thing you know, you'll be listening to you. You watch it. Once you start down that road, you think, well, I'll listen to one other person. Well, I'll read this book. I'll just read. I'll just open it up in a semi-lit room, and I'll just open the book up you know, just a little, just the pages, so I have to sort of squint. Now, get away from the light. Or if you didn't get to the point, I'll just read one paragraph out of that book. So once you start that, it's like eating one prune. <laughs> Or whatever it is for you people from Caposius. Uh, the idea that I stuck in there that I brought up the other night. Again, I, I make a recommendation. I have always found this. As long as I'm going to think about something. As long as I'm playing with the whole idea, all of this in my head. That is, I am not in a complete blown away state of upper story, Satori. The big time. If I'm playing with stuff, this is one of the stuffs that I have found to be infinite in its possible payoffs. And that is the fact that there's no such thing is something that's not true. And parenthetically, if anybody gets anything from this, I will say again, look at the universe. How can something be untrue? God, I love that. Even if you don't. And I can't explain it any better. But if you look out and you keep looking, it'll strike you. I mean, there are more foolish things in the universe, for instance, than buying uh, life insurance. And one of them is believing that there's something untrue. How can you look at the universe? If you'll pardon me, I'll do gestures. And it's just, it's right out there. It's all around you. And just, there it is. Just any time you want to look, there is the universe. Some people won't call it reality. But there is the universe. And now look at it. Look at planets. Red giants. Black dwarfs. 
black giants, green holes, galaxies, nebuluses, esses, even meteorites. Look at it, all of them, and then ask yourself, just right quick, just let it hit you that everyone knows that there are things going on that are not true. And you look at that. What does being true have to do with anything? And yet all you have to do is fall back in the maelstrom of your own thoughts. And hell, half the thoughts you have, at least, are about things that are not true. Sometimes you call it other stuff, like people's stupidity. But you're dealing with at least half a person's thoughts. Why don't you check it? Check my math. That half of the thoughts that you have are about the matter, your judgment of things are not true. But see, when people behave in a way that you find unacceptable, moronic, then you find that to be untrue behavior. Look back at the universe and ask yourself, how can something be untrue? Well, what I said, uh, the benefit I've always gotten out of it, maybe I should make it blunter. The way I use it on me is just a reminder. It's the first time, it's the first way I ever thought about it, pictured it, that if you're awake, everything in life, everything in your experience, if you're awake at any moment, then everything is true. That's just one of those I have never... In my darkest moments, sinking into the horrific depths of depression and depravity, <clears throat> being inclined to deep sleep at the moment, I have always found great momentary salvation in just that sentence, just reminding myself of something I know for an absolute fact. That when you're awake, everything is true. I don't know that people, when I first started having the big satories, the anomalistic experiences, I didn't think in those terms. But those of you that have had the experience, when I say that, you know what I mean. All you got to do is check with your own memory. And as I said, I don't know, I've never heard of anybody that thought in those terms. But now that I say it, and you think back during those hours of the days that you were in that state, the day or so, is that not a fact? Everything was true. There was not one single thought you had when you were actually in the state. You did not have one thought, just nothing. You had no thought about, well, that's not so. That's not true. Because you could see. You could see life as it is. You experience life without looking through the glasses of thought. And there's no way, although there seems to be, and many people spend their life supposedly trying to awaken, still believing this, there seems to be ways, and it seems to be proper, seems to be possible to restructure your thinking to make your perception of life more accurate. Well, such as trying to eradicate uh, any particular prejudice you have. 
Like it's very common for people to say, to believe throughout the ages that uh, if you were a Turk and you were trying to awaken, let's assume that throughout a large part of the history of the Middle East, you had less than brotherly feelings for the Greeks. Or if you were a Peloponnesian, let's be more specific, you did not harbor any great love for the Athenians. Hence that unsavory war. And so if you were a Greek attempting to awaken an Athenian, attempting to awaken, uh, I can assure you, as far back as then, that was one of the things that they would try. Is that it was very common during one period. Anyway, we, everybody has prejudice against some other group of people, usually more than several. And so it would be proclaimed, it would be taught that that is something worthwhile to work on. And I'm not saying it's not. It's not per se. It just gives you something to do. But that they believe, and it's taught, and it seems it strikes people as being true, that if you're going to awaken, if you're going to be enlightened, you can't imagine Buddha being enlightened and still behind his back, bad-mouthed Pakistanis, which, which would have been hard for him to do, of course, at the time. But everybody would know. It was taught that you cannot be, you, you can't be enlightened and hate your neighbor, somebody of a different religion, somebody of a different nationality, you can't do that. And so they would struggle. And people still do it. I know it goes on today. The people are given tasks. And all kinds of so-called awakening school milieus. The people to write down. Write down the people you hate. Individuals, groups of people. And then people are given assignments. And I used to play with it. I mean, it was something to do. It's something to get you started. But the idea that you can restructure your thought or that's worthwhile even. You understand, it's like magazines in a doctor's waiting room. That you keep wanting to see the doctor, that is, you keep wanting to awaken. And since you can't do it, you're provided magazines. Like a nurse tells you, well, calm down, you know, he's a little behind. Read a magazine. Here, have a sucker. <laughs> that's what all of this is. That's what all of the literature on awakening is, how to awaken. It's all magazines in the waiting room. And, but in particular, I was trying to point out, in particular, for tonight, what I'm pointing to, is the attempt to work on your thinking. That my thinking about life could be more accurate or less accurate. And that, that sounds correct. It absolutely does when you start, that it sounds correct, that if you had one man, uh, if you had two people came to you and you were like the head of some monastery, you were an ancient wise sage, and you had two people came to you swearing that they were seeking enlightenment, would do whatever you said, and you talked to them a little while, and one of them, it turned out, uh, believed that he was being followed by men wearing green trench coats and with three eyes in their head and they were leaving, sending out dangerous waves. Another guy just seemed pretty ordinary. You would think that the man, the first guy with the daydreams, you would think, well, he needs, he's got to straighten his thinking out. And you could tell him he did. You could give him something to do. And it would appear to be, if I ask you, uh, there's something that needs to be done about that man's thinking. Or if the man was full of great prejudice about some about people, groups of people. 
it would seem proper if I said, uh, does he need to do something about his prejudice, his thinking, uh, kind of ideas he has about other people? And you would say yes. But that is something he has surely got to work on. Because it is true that if you're awake, you're not like that. And there's the trick with a mind. An enlightened man is not like that. But then to say, well, if I don't, if I can undo me being like that, work on me not being like that, then I'll be enlightened. Well, hold on there just a minute, Bunky. So we've got a small problem there. Of course, there's always this. i got to add this parenthetically. If you could absolutely fake it, you're okay. That is, if you can just go ahead and pretend to be wide awake, and then you're all right. Just, you've got to be able to persevere with the imitation. I've never actually come up with a, a solid time. But if you can absolutely pretend to be enlightened, now I'm talking about absolutely, uh, I'm guessing. Uh, you, know, you can call me on this, but if you will do it consistently, we're talking about 24 hours a day, or as long as you're awake, out of bed, I believe somewhere within between two and three days, then you'll actually be awake. But you've got to be able to do it nonstop. But back to that's kind of, I don't know what that's kind of. But back to the main subject. It seems to be in everybody's case that you think to yourself and you would think about other people. I was using other people. But you would think to yourself because you know some of the strange, obnoxious, oblique, questionable thoughts you have about other people, about your past history, but mainly about other people. And so to you, it sounds correct that I have got to do something about me thinking this way. Okay. But it is ultimately simply of no consequence. Because once you begin to understand it, once you see it for yourself, it's horrendous as perverse or obnoxious as your thoughts about other people may be, certain thoughts about certain people. It has no more bearing on reality than your most innocuous to you thoughts. If you get to the point of understanding that you've got one, this is a simple choice. You either see life as it is, you just take it as it is, because, <laughs> you know, like you got a choice. But to take it like it is, or to take it to be what you see through your thoughts. Once you get to the point that you began to, you just simply realize that on some sort of continuing basis, not consistent, but at least it continues to reappear in your head. When you get there, it doesn't take a lot after that that you realize that your particular thinking, your particular thoughts, are really of no consequence. But they certainly seem to to you because they're in your damn head. And they seem to be you until you know better, clearly. But the fact is, it doesn't really matter. There's no way that you can refurbish enlighten, wake up, liberate thoughts. That is not their nature. From one quite valid view, there's no such thing as 
awakened thinking. You know, I'm not bragging because I don't mean it just about me, but as close as I can conceive of it being, as close as it can be, is what I show up here and do. And it's still, the truth is, it's still really far removed. Well, i got to tell the truth. It still has nothing to do with being awake. There. I just always hate to say it because it doesn't, it doesn't sound right. Because I think, well, why did I drive over here? I, th- I think that you think that. That somebody could think that. Well, why do you drive over here? And worse than that, why the hell did I show up? But anyway, I had to tell the truth. Now you can ignore that. This comes as close as not being irrelevant to what you think. Because certainly there's no doubt if you try, or if you are thinking about being awake, if you are thinking about this whole thing, the more you think about it, the more likely that something will happen. But the truth is, as far as the particulars you're thinking about, well, to put it crudely, it doesn't matter if you're trying to wake up by being a Zenist or a Sufi or anything. It doesn't matter what damn method you're studying. It does not matter. Makes no difference whatsoever. Well, assuming that... Well, if you're studying the method, it makes no difference. I was going to say it would be some different if you were listening to somebody talk. You don't get way off the subject. But even that wouldn't matter because if you're listening to somebody talk, and I was inferring someone who knew what they were talking about, if they knew what they are talking about, they wouldn't be teaching a system. So there. I was right to start with, as always. You know why? Because everything's true. I thought we'd establish that. You see, most people can't. They don't understand it, and so they can't reinforce it. Again, I'm not bragging, but that's how I, and I'm sure there's other people, have been, that I am able, at a drop of a hat, I could show up, and I can just start talking about this. And some of you know I can talk for hours. Non-stop. No preparation. I can ask for a question. Name a subject. And I can start talking. You know why? I mean, besides my innate brilliance. Because I don't take it seriously. If you know what I mean. I know what I mean. See, I'm not teaching a system. I'm not trying to get you to study some system. I'm not trying to get you to believe anything. I hate to say this, but if if anything, I'm trying to get you not to believe anything. See, that's dangerous because then you can decide, well, that's going to be my new plan is not to have a plan. It's that old thing. Well, now I finally found a way to do it. What I won't do is think. Well, it was all right until you said it. It was all right until you heard about it. And then you can say, well, if I hadn't heard about it, I wouldn't try it. Well, you got me there. I hope you're happy. <laughs> and then you can say, well, how did I get out? And then that's when I say, hey, that's what you got to find out for yourself. Because nobody can tell you. I keep trying. But I can't tell you because anything I tell you is a trap. Anything anybody tells you is a trap. Unless you can hear it and not listen to it. But then again, as I said, you already got a problem. See, I know it. 
as us car chasers say, it takes one to catch one. See, I know that anything I say about it, you'll think about and get trapped. You know how I know it? It's because I know that you're already thinking yourself. So it's not all my fault. Put the blame where it, where it actually rests. You're the one thinking. And don't say, well, you made me think about it. You were thinking already, though. Oh, he did. You were already singing to yourself. Maybe we just changed the song. But it wasn't even that. All he did was change the key it's in. You were singing along, da 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 da. And I said, let's try, da 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 da. You say, well, no, now we're getting somewhere. Does anybody know enough of some of you about music? How do you call it getting somewhere that you're singing to yourself? That you're, you're singing, running commentary to yourself about life. That is, the, the thoughts through which you're looking at life. Let's say that yours is in the key of C. Now go, come on. Let's move up about a step and a half la to E flat. And so I start getting you to sing, or you start listening to me, and your own internal singing goes from the key of C to the key of E flat. And you think, hey, now we're getting somewhere. Come on, folks, open your eyes. <laughs> you just change keys. Well, I'm through reading about this Sufi stuff. I'm going to read about Zen. Now I'm getting somewhere. I went from a monastery that only made me sit six hours a day. I'm now one that requires 12 hours a day. Ha <laughs> ha! Can't hold a good man down. Now we're back to this. Walk out and look at the universe and go, where is down? How am I being held down? And then your mind can say, all right, if you're going to start that shit, don't hold me back. Same question. Who is holding you back? Did everybody get the one I, it purposely when I wrote it about all the stuff about thinking about thinking. It's an extenuation, an elaboration. I changed the keys from my description of it Wednesday. It was this model, a hierarchy. How do you think they greet each other? You know, hierarchy. <laughs> Every time I say that word, I imagine, you know, structures of some kind, structured organizations, and then waving at one another. But I don't know whether it's the levels at the top or at the bottom. Plus, I have no idea whether they'd appreciate the humor and one of them actually say to the other one, hi, hierarchy. Here's my hierarchy of the model. First, things are as they are. I'm still amazed that I can say anything after that. Things are as they are. Then men think about things. This is individually, and you can take it as being the history of mankind. Things are as they are. The universe. Things. Before you got here. Before humanity got here. We suppose. Things were as they were. They are as they are. We get here. You get here. Things are as they are. Then men think about things. The things. And then they describe first to themselves. 
how they think that things are. Remember, first you come into the world and things are as they are. We don't remember those days. But when you got here, you looked around and there was a crib, walls. Whatever was around you, there it was. There was no illusion, no impression that you had anything to do with it, that you even had any control with it. You couldn't even keep your head upright. Your little spastic hand reaching out for something. So there it is. Things are as they are. But then, soon, men think about the things. And then they, first off, they describe to themselves what they think things are. Then, collectively and individually, but collectively again, then after that, some men hear about these other men's descriptions of how they think about things. And then you think about, then this new group of men, they think about the descriptions they've heard of other men's thinking, their description of what they thought about how things are. And then they describe what they think about these other men's, these previous men's descriptions of what they think about how things are. Without that, you have no secondary world. You have no religion, philosophy, sociology. You have nothing that goes on in the head. Now the descriptions I pointed out last time, but a little more specifically tonight I intended in the writing, the descriptions of the physical world, the external world, are without any doubt, potentially and usually, but potentially of great benefit to man. As I normally couch it, that is the original and radical purpose of consciousness, of thought, is to be able to deal with the physical world without actually having to put your hands on it for purposes of survival enhancement. So descriptions of the physical world, one guy describing to another guy where a lake is. Back to my old caveman cartoonish history. Or for one man describing to another an animal he saw that, that no one had ever seen before. And the animal acted very aggressive toward the man telling a story. So he describes to another caveman, watch out for this thing. It has stripes and it has a long tail. And it's got teeth that hang out like you know, way below its lower lip. And the thing is mean. It's aggressive. It's beneficial. Or one man to describe to another uh, that he saw a wheel. That he saw how the people move things when he was over on another mountain somewhere. And so rather than just make it, he could, anyway, you can describe how, you know, where you can find food, where a lake is. Animals, to describe the physical world can be extremely beneficial. It can be life-saving. But... Here's my blunt way of putting it. But I say, I put it to you as a question. What is the benefit? What purpose is served in descriptions of any other realm? Do you get me? And it sounds as though, if you're listening the way I said it, sort of intended it was to get your attention and make you ponder the matter. It sounds as though, because I'm including... Uh, 
this kind of activity. And all the descriptions that I'm always talking about, about the mind and what's going on, what's going on internally and the way people look at things. What purpose is served in that? You understand, I'm insinuating none. But what is the what is considered by any, by all intelligent people on this planet, what's considered a sign of intelligence? The minimal or maybe the maximum indication of one's intelligence is self-reflection. People who say they ponder their own thoughts, that they are aware of their own inner life. A sign of intelligence nowadays in the West, it has been for several decades, is to, if you can afford it, is to go into continuing analysis. Even if you suffer no clinically diagnosable neuroses, that it's just good for you. It's good for self-knowledge. It helps one discover what one, who one truly is to discover one's own true, what's true about oneself and what is untrue about oneself. <laughs> and it would appear to be from all my talk, things I've, ways I put it. And again, I put, I put it to you, the other six billion intelligent, ordinary people on this planet, everyone believes that contemplation of oneself, whether other people do it or not, every intelligent person pays Serious lip service to it. But I'm insinuating, in fact, I put it to you Wednesday, I said that there's no point. That consciousness, from one view, one genuine view, that the purpose of consciousness is to be conscious of the physical world. Now, I don't see how anybody can disagree with that. I don't see how anybody can disagree. If I, if I propose that the primary purpose, if I start out and said the primary purpose of consciousness is to be conscious of the physical world. That that's what the brain is doing, is gathering in and monitoring information coming in from the other senses and being able to remember abstractly, to call upon its memory, to adjust its behavior. Any intelligent person on this planet would agree if I said the primary purpose of consciousness is surely to be conscious of your environment, of the physical world outside of you. Can't be in a doubt, I don't think. If I then said that consciousness of the internal world, any consciousness of anything else, and I'd hope somebody would say, you mean the internal world? I go, exacto. Consciousness of the internal world is a waste of time. It's unnatural. Which seems to be absolutely at loggerheads to this kind of activity, do it not. Know thyself. Must be aware of what's going on. I know I've said all that, and I stand by it, but let me tell you this. That's a bunch of shit. Ask yourself, what is the purpose of being conscious of consciousness? What's the purpose, what possible end is being served in doing that? I would think that obviously what you'd want to say is, well, it's helping me to awaken. Oh, Yeah. Are you a big boy or girl? Can you go home and go, all right, that sounded right. How much has it helped? Has it helped? 
Anyway, you, you can get lost in that. I'm just saying, and asking you to consider, I say that consciousness is purpose, is to be conscious of your surroundings, to be conscious of the world outside of you. Let me go ahead and say it. That's the only purpose. What we, this daydreaming, the inner life that annoys people such as me, such as my kind of mystic, I say that that is simply when consciousness is not operating, it's not being forced to, it's not being called upon to operate at its optimum. Or maybe it's even just a minimum level. And it lapses into singing to itself, talking to itself, flipping through photographs, memory files, meaningless activity. And the other six being people, ordinary people, just more or less ignore it. People who are struggling seeking enlightenment, they turn their full attention on it. A man must know himself. The life not studied is the life not fit to lead. Well, I used to like to say that to myself. That the, that the purpose of consciousness is to be conscious of your surroundings. Because right there is enough to wake you up, or at least to keep you from dozing off completely, if you just assume that that's true. If you took that as a working hypothesis, or if you decide to check it out, that I say that that is the purpose of consciousness. That's the purpose. That's it. Is to be conscious of your surroundings. Trying to be conscious of your internal world is laughable. It's, it's just perverse. It's unnatural. It's useless. It does nothing. It's just twiddling your thumbs. Except with us, it's worse. Because we take the twiddling of the thumbs and the useless activity as being the most important activity in our life. I'm trying to observe my inner life. I'm trying to stay mindful of my inner life. From one view, you're a moron. Well, don't just don't take my dramatics. Ask yourself again. Now, I'll stop, but you've got to agree. You've got to agree if I say that the purpose, the purpose, the overriding, the initial, the primary purpose of consciousness is to be conscious of the world outside of you, is to help keep you safe, to make you be able to live more efficiently. That's it. Consciousness of your surroundings. Consciousness flowing out of you like little rays of sunshine, little rays of invisible hands seeking information. What's going on out there? What possible dangers? You've got to agree. You've got to see that that is a valid statement. Now consider the one that sounds haywire. Based on that, I say being conscious of your internal world, of your internal surroundings, is foolishness. I can say that and it gives me a chill every time I say it. Because everything, in a sense, I hope all you guys can follow this because you know I don't say it to talk about me. I'm trying to lead you into something and give you some... I'm trying to do something. But I get such a chill because, in a sense, my whole superficial life my whole observable life has been dedicated to that very thing of being conscious, bringing my inner life to full consciousness so that it 
is I'm as conscious consistently of that as I physically am the external world. But I can say, and I know what I mean, I know the validity of it, that that is foolishness. That's not the point of consciousness. That doesn't even cover what I mean. How about this? This doesn't either, but it's not possible. That's why you can't self-remember. That's why you can't be mindful. That's why the mind cannot conceive of itself, whether you're a mystic or someone in the cognitive neurosciences. It can't do it. You think, why is it I can almost, my hand can almost reach out and grab itself. My mind can almost, I get to the point that it goes, I can almost sense it, I can almost smell it, that my mind is about to see itself and then I'll understand everything. Yeah, I know, except for this. What if you can't do it? What if it's absolute folly, just on the basis that I'm describing it tonight, that consciousness is not intended to be conscious of your internal world. It's not even structured to do it. And if the other six billion people got the right idea, they just have a vague awareness that's going on. You ask people, do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, when you're not talking or working on a problem, do you think like daydream, have thoughts go through your head? People go, yeah. And you go, all the time? And you'll see them look off, you know, cut their eyes up and they go, well, uh, yeah, I guess. You, know. you think, shit, they just, what a wasted life. They came and tell me, if I say, well, if you ask them, wait a minute, is it possible sometimes that maybe you go five minutes without a thought? And people, again, they'll look off me on their head, like trying to come up with an answer. And from one view, from one good, solid, mystical view, to yourself, you could think, idiots. What a wasted life. How little consciousness, how little consistent consciousness they have of their own inner life, their own consciousness. Whew. Boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. <laughs> Are you sure? No, I was going to say, anyway, they just have a vague awareness. They don't really try and be conscious of their inner life. Mystics are the only ones that really do it. Philosophers talk about it. Uh, much of the religious people in a religious sense who claim that they're religious, they talk about it. But I don't know whether you... It's this kind of thing, you either know it or not. People like us are really the ones who do it. Psychiatrists talk about it. Psychologists talk about it. But we're the ones that really do anything about it. We're the ones that try to do anything about it. We could be, on the basis of this model, we could be the world's biggest idiots. But there's one redeeming feature, possibility, is once you realize it, then it's a whole different ballgame. It's like you go from instant supreme idiocy to somewhere else. But the rest of the world's on one level, and you're a super idiot by trying to be conscious of your inner world. And consciousness not intended to do that, and by my model, my suggestion to you tonight, can't do it. But it's certainly not intended to. And if you realize, well, I've been an idiot, you are instantly transformed to a whole new thing. 
Oh, I know. You'll be in suspense all weekend. All right, you're an idiot that knows better. There. Or in the land of copiousness, known as your enlightenment. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.